Welcome to Heart Church. We believe the gospel has the power to change your whole life, all your life. We hope you're ready to hear from God and be impacted by this message. We're going to read, going to get straight into it. Is that okay? No messing around. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19 is where we're going to go. It says this, to Adam, this is what God said, and the verse should come here behind me. It says, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife... That's not me. That's the word. That's the Bible. Has anybody ever seen that before? Because you listen to your wife. Now, how many of you know listening to your wife is the right thing to do? Happy wife, happy life. Because you listen to your wife is the right thing to do. But on this occasion, Adam, (laughs) it was the wrong decision. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Therefore, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." And then just flick to Genesis 22, right at the end of the Bible, uh, the last couple of chapters there. We're just going to read from verses 1 to 5 in Genesis chapter 22. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree offer the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. I love the Bible. And the reason I chose those two passages, one at the beginning of creation where we make quite a big error and one at the end of the Bible where we see the return of Christ and we see God do what only he can do. I want to speak in the time that I have with you about something I've never um, spoken about before, but something I really felt pressed on my heart to speak to you about because um, I think we're living in a time where there's a lot of brokenness and there's a lot of things that are disunified and disjointed. And I felt God press on my heart to speak today about the God of restoration. This morning, the God of restoration. That God takes that which is broken and God takes that which is beaten. And in his nature that God is, he, he acts to repair, but not just repair, to restore a world in a way that it it should be, but it is not yet there. And what we find here in the two passages of Scripture, we find in Genesis where the world becomes broken as a result of the decisions of humanity. But then we find in Genesis, in Revelation 22, the passage is called where God restores the Garden of Eden. So what was broken in Genesis, God restores in Revelation. That what might be broken at the beginning, God has a way and also a habit, you will see, of restoring broken things. I have 
currently two kids. And the reason I say currently is because my wife is pregnant with twins. And they are due in around three to four weeks' time. And, um, and so I'm treading carefully around our house at the moment, if you know what it is to live with a pregnant wife. Okay, whatever they need, whatever happens, it's just, yeah, you're right. Okay, I am listening to my wife. Um, and so we have twins, and um, they, the sonographer actually made a mistake. We thought we were having twin girls, and so we had a great baby. We didn't know what we were having, so we popped some balloons, and two balloons were pink and pink, and we're like, wow, this is amazing. We're going to have two boys and two girls, only to find out a few weeks ago that they made a mistake. And uh, it's not two girls. It's actually a boy and a girl. So now I'll be having three boys and a girl. But my youngest, my eldest boy, his name is Jay, and he is six. But around about a year ago, um, he was in kids' church in our local church, and he was playing football in kids' church, because that's what you do um, after reading you know, a few books of the Bible. Um, <laughs> he was playing football with his friends towards the end of kids' church, and we get a note to say, can we go and get him, because he's in quite a lot of distress. So uh, we run over to him, and he's like crying. Like, but how many of you know five-year-olds cry quite regularly? You know, and so it was like nothing really that uncommon. And so he was complaining that his leg was hurting. And so, you know, when kids complain about aches and pains, it's like, have some cow pole, you'll be fine. <laughs> have some more cow pole, you'll be fine. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we, I carried him to the car and he's crying in the car on the way home. And, and then we get home and I'm like, okay, probably best just have a drink uh, and let's go to bed and, you know, good night, sleep, you'll be fine. And then he goes to sleep, but he's still waking up. And as he's waking up, he's, he's in, you can tell he's still in a little bit of distress. It then gets to 3 a.m. in the morning, and the kid is still crying. But not crying, kind of like wailing. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, maybe this is more than just like a little cut on his leg. Maybe it's a little bit more severe than that. But at 3 a.m., you have to make a decision. Do you want to take a five-year-old to accident and emergency? <laughs> The answer is, eh, eh. the computer says no. Okay, and so I'm like, you know, just hold on a little bit longer. And so have some more cowpol. Okay, now he's like overdosed. <laughs> no, he's not for any of you who work in healthcare profession or social services. He was fine. It gets to 6 a.m. He's still complaining. And so I think, okay, I need to take this kid to the hospital. So I take him to A&E. And I meet the first doctor, and the first doctor says, you know, are you okay? And he goes, no. And by this time, he'd stopped crying, but you could tell he was you know, still really in pain. And they said, we, we think, his, we think his, um, his shin bone is bruised, but, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry. We will, we will do an x-ray on it. Anyway, the x-ray comes back, and here's the first picture from the x-ray. You, there you'll see a full-on snap, okay? A snap in his tibular bone. Uh, I think that's right. Tibular might be fibula. I don't know. Don't correct me. Tibular bone. And um, it's a full-on clean break, okay? And uh, I'm there thinking, oh, I'm so good. I'm a, I'm a good, good father. <laughs> it's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. I am perfect. No, I'm definitely not perfect in all of my ways. But thankfully, he was in the right place now with his broken bone, which was fully snapped. Now, when you're five, in fact, when you're any age, that shouldn't be experienced. Broken bones is not the way we know we should live. If you've ever had a broken bone, I'm sure it's not a pleasant 
experience. But by a five-year-old boy who had spent 12 hours with no pain relief other than a little bit of cowpole, okay? <laughs> Nothing more than that. Me just hoping he would get away with it and get okay and kind of fix it himself. But that shouldn't be experienced by a five-year-old boy. But what I found fascinating speaking to the doctors and when I was in that hospital that time was even the human body is built in a way to start restoring itself once it experiences something that is broken. In fact, when you break a physical bone uh, in your body, there are three phases. You have what's called the reactive phase. This is where the area swells around the break, okay? And so swelling takes place. You then have the reparative phase. This is where membrane that covers your bone converts itself into bone and cartilage cells and begins to kind of repair. You then have the remodeling phase, which is where temporary bone is replaced with compact permanent bone. So as soon as that broken bone took place at 6.30 on a Sunday, Sunday night, immediately it goes into repair mode. Immediately it goes into restore mode. And during the reparative phase, what happens is, I'm giving you science now, a mineral deposit called callus, which is basically a calcium collection, forms around the break. And what it does, as it is forming around the break, it actually makes the bone stronger than it was before the break. It's amazing. As soon as something breaks in your body, the process of restoration begins. As soon as Adam and Eve fell into sin as a result of their decision, it's amazing how the restoration process began. It's amazing how God didn't just leave them as they were, but he began immediately despite their sin and despite their mistakes to start the restoration process right away on them. He does not leave them as they were, but the restorative nature of God kicks in. Because in it is in his love and it is in the nature of God to see his creation in peace, to see his creation in wholeness. In fact, the biblical word would be shalom, which means completeness. It means nothing missing. It means nothing broken. It is not God's desire for his creation, for me and you, the children of God, to remain broken, to remain disfigured, to remain not how it was created to be. But it is in his love and it is in his nature to bring it back and bring humanity back to shalom, completeness. You see, when you look at restoration, the uh, regular kind of Oxford Dictionary definition of restoration is to return something back to its original condition. Okay, so maybe you have like a wooden beam in your house and you, you know, it's been plasterboarded or it's been painted with like ugly gloss paint and you, you move in and you, you want to start restoring it. What you are doing is you are restoring that beam back to its original condition. Maybe you have a car that you've restored, maybe an old chair and you start that process. And that is good. That's a good meaning of restoration. But when you look at the Bible, the biblical meaning of restoration goes a little bit deeper than that. You see, the biblical meaning of restoration is to receive back more than has been lost. To the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. So when God speaks about how he is going to restore humanity, how he is going to restore lives, how he is the God of restoration, he's not just taking something back to its original condition. No, he is giving back more than whatever was lost in the first place. And he is making the final state greater than the original state. 
We find this in Joel chapter 2, reading from verse 25. The prophet uh, Joel, who, who, is, who is speaking in Joel 2 verse 25, you know, it says, The Lord has done marvelous things, and you can read those verses. But then it goes on, it says, And he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain. Just go back to the uh, first slide, if you can. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. God is saying, whatever has been lost... I'm going to restore to you more than whatever was taken. That the years that you have lost, that the years that have been taken away from you, Heart Church, I think God is saying, I want to restore them to you. And I want to give you back greater years than you ever had before. And I want to prophesy to some of you, maybe you in the house today, maybe some families, maybe some new people in this church that... I think God wants to restore some years that you've lost in health. Some of you spent some time in health and you've lost some years. You've been sick for a long time. You weren't able to do this or that. I think the God of restoration wants to restore that. God wants to restore some years you've lost in a relationship, in purpose. Some of you have been without. Some of you have not had enough for a long time. I want to prophesy that the God of restoration wants to restore more and greater than it was in its original time. You see, God's desire for you, his desire for you, and my desire for you, and I'm sure, I'm sure that the leadership of this church's desire for you is not that any of us move backwards towards brokenness, but that we move forward towards restoration. I am a father, and in my natural father inclinations and desires, I don't desire for any of my kids to struggle in further brokenness my desire is for all of my kids to move forward is to get stronger is to get strict is to get fitter is to move forward in restoration in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 to 11 I love how Peter writes it here he says be alert and of sober mind for the enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour but resist him stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings but the god of all grace because this is grace <laughs> none of this is by your own merits none of this is by your own work you can try and restore things by yourself but it is the god of grace who restores who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a while He will himself restore you and make you strong, make you firm and make you steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, when you go through suffering, and I've not been through what you've suffered. I've not seen what you've seen. I've probably not experienced what you've experienced. Some of you have gone through trauma. Some of you have gone through huge loss. Some of you have gone through massive heartache. And I don't stand up here today going, yeah, I kind of like, I know what it's like. Because I don't know what it's like. Everyone who suffers, suffers differently. And the feelings are different. And the emotions are different. So you can never judge someone's level of suffering and say, hey, get over it, man. (laughs) Until you actually walk in their shoes. To actually know what it's like to suffer how they've suffered. But I think Peter encourages us here today to say the follow-up of suffering, the result of suffering doesn't always need to be weakness. 
doesn't always need to be that I live in a permanent state of brokenness. But actually the result of suffering by the grace of God can actually lead to a restoration of strength. Because when something breaks in life, sometimes we carry that scar with us. Sometimes we carry that brokenness with us and we think we're always going to stay weak for the rest of our life. And it's not to say that we have to forget what happened and remove the memory of what happened, but we don't necessarily have to live with a permanent broken bone. But we can actually move forward in strength and move forward to restoration. Because the reality is, the truth is, stuff does happen to all of us. Even those of you that do your Bible reading every day, <laughs> those of you that do your devotions, those of you that tithe, those of you that raise your hands in the air, those of you that have been to Bible college, those of you that have been missionaries around the world, <laughs> stuff happens. And we can try and protect ourselves from stuff, but the reality is life shows us that things happen. But to start the process of restoration when those things happen, usually it's sometimes a bit of a painful process, a bit of a challenging process. Sometimes what we do, the easy way is sometimes to paint over that which is broken. Then right. if you've ever been in a house and you, you're trying to sell your house and you know you've got a big crack in the wall <laughs> and people are coming to look at it and you, you quickly put a bit of polyfiller in and paint it over, hoping nobody's going to see, hoping people won't identify. But the reality is if there is a crack there, there is a crack there. And sure, the polyfiller and the paint might cover for a few moments, but the truth is to get that wall back to full stability, you have to strip some things back. You have to start some things again. You have to strip back that what was there. You have to peel some things back bare for the restoration process to begin. Just over a year ago, we uh, entered into our, uh, our new facility in Leeds, uh, our beautiful building that we now have, uh, which we are blessed to have for... I don't know how many years, maybe, maybe eight to ten years, we were doing how you do church now, loading in, loading out, and having all the teams on that. And I commend every single one of you who does that. Round of applause for the amazing team who load in and load out. You guys and girls deserve a double blessing. You deserve like a McDonald's breakfast or something. Okay. Because the church reality doesn't exist, doesn't happen. This can't happen without the faithful people who contribute to that. And maybe you're sat here today going, I could help with that. Then come on, I'm sure you can. Get involved. Speak to somebody about how you can help contribute to make all this work. But now we have, by the grace of God (laughs) and the kindness of him, a building. And uh, when we first moved into it just over a year ago now, um, like any moving into a church or when you move into a house, you kind of get in <laughs> like breathing hard and then you kind of run out of money. And so you, you kind of do what needs to be done and then other areas you just leave. And so we had these offices and they had this ugly carpet that had been in there for like 30 years. And we're like, we don't have the money to replace the carpet. Maybe we can vacuum the carpet. Maybe we could shampoo the carpet. And then somebody had a bright idea. Why don't we just rip the carpet up and see what's underneath? And what was underneath were these beautiful wooden floorboards. But they weren't so beautiful. They required a lot of work. They required a lot of stripping back and and sanding down and preparing. But now in our offices, we have these offices. And when people come to our building, it's amazing. I wish they commented on the sound system because it cost us a lot of money. I wish they commented on other aspects of the church, which cost a lot of money. But do you know what they all comment on? Wow, I love the flooring in your offices, which cost us zero. 
Why? Because we spent the time to strip back that what was already there and restored something not to its original condition, but actually better than it was before. Sometimes the easier option is just to cover what's been. But the tougher option is sometimes to expose what's been and begin to strip back. See, the Bible says Adam and Eve made these coverings for themselves. Fig leaves. What were they thinking? As if fig leaves were going to serve humanity forever and ever. That would be our clothes, you know. Good morning. As you're walking into your local paper shop to buy the Daily Telegraph with your fig leaves that are kind of a little bit out of place. But by the grace of God, he doesn't leave them with Adam and Eve's way of covering who were embarrassed and ashamed. But God's like, guys, what are you doing? Let me restore you. And he makes skin garments for them. He makes coverings for them. He gets involved and starts this process of restoration. Sure, there were consequences. We see that in the world today. Sure, there was a result of that decision. And we have to deal with the result of our decisions. And there were consequences to all of our actions. But the God of grace works to cover our shame. And he works to cover our embarrassment. And to raise us up. And to give us pride back. And to give us the ability to walk with grace and authority and boldness. And God starts that process with him rather than us trying to think we can do it all by ourselves because things work out much better when you allow God to get involved and to help cover your exposure with his grace, to help cover those broken areas with his grace rather than us trying to do it all by ourselves. The restoration process gets messy. That is why you need the grace of God involved with it. Sometimes it would be nice to say it's a simple, clean process. But if you've ever restored cars before, and I have some pictures of some old cars here. And uh, like, if you saw that car and you thought, come on, let's restore that car, you'd look at it and go, I'm not sure I can be bothered to do that. I'm not sure I have the time to do that. I'm not sure I have the resources to do that. And you see these other cars that are just dusty and rusty. They've been left just to kind of get old and useless and unusable, unusable. But when some time, when some people put some work into stripping back that which is there, you see the exact cars and you begin to see what they can be restored to when you begin to spend time restoring what was already there. But when you start the process and when you start the journey of restoration, you basically have to remove a whole heap of things. You can't just paint over it. Nearly every item in those cars is removed and then cleaned and repaired and then, importantly, repositioned. If you take relationships, for example, sometimes in a restored relationship, you have to remove certain things that have become dusty and rusty and unusable. Maybe there are old memories that still exist from years ago. Maybe there are distant offences that took place decades ago. Maybe there are family fallouts from 1994. And it's almost like the situation has just been left to rust in a garage. It's just been left there. But sometimes you have to remove the old so that you can replace with new. You have to remove certain things so that you can replace with new. And the Bible is clear in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 that if anyone is in Christ, it says the new creation has come. That the old is gone and that the new is here. 
That when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, it's amazing how that restoration process within us goes to a whole new level as the old within us is repaired and restored and replaced by the new that God gives us. And so if you're in here today like me and you have some stuff that needs restoring in your life, I want to highlight a few things. I want to highlight a few things. I don't want to just create like random things which sound good on a Sunday morning at Heart Church. I want to take you to the Bible and I want to show you six things where God shows his commitment to get involved in the restoration in certain things in your life. These aren't just random things. These are things that have impacted me. And I think these are things that are going to impact every single one of us at some level. Six things that God is committing to restoring. Is that okay? The first thing that I believe God is committed to restore, and I think this is super important, is that God restores souls. God restores my soul. God restores your soul. Many of you are familiar with Psalm 23 and verses 2 to 3, where it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He what? Let's say it together. All of us together. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we love Psalm 23 and we love that verse, but sometimes you have to read that in context with Psalm 22. Because many of the Psalms that David wrote were actually chronologically written. Not all of the Psalms are, but many of them are chronologically written. And many scholars believe that Psalm 23 was the Psalm that he wrote after Psalm 22. And guess what he writes in Psalm 22? He writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? (laughs) He's like, God, where are you? I, I could do with you right now, and yet I don't know where you are. I am surrounded by enemies, he writes. Life is difficult for David. He's basically saying, like, God, like, this is tough. And then the next chapter, Psalm 23, David comes to this revelation that actually if the Lord is my shepherd, if I know who I've got, then I don't actually have to be anxious about what I've got. Because if he's my shepherd, he's going to take care of my needs. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But he makes me lie down in green pastures. And David comes to this revelation. God, you are committed to the health of my soul. You see, more than anything else, more than anything else, more than your job, more than your house, more than your possessions, more than your dreams, more than your past, more than your future, what matters to God is your soul. Your soul right here, right now, it matters to God. And you can be like David, who is in the Psalms, who's the king of Israel. You can be like him going, yeah, but God, I'm winning battles, God. I'm being effective. Like, I'm taking territory. Like, I am building a kingdom like the world has never seen before. I'm winning battle after battle. I've got victory after victory. There's even a chant after my own name. Like, I can walk through. Like, I've got stuff going on in my life that is successful and effective. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And it's almost like God reveals himself to David and says, Who cares? Who cares? Do you think I care about how much territory you've taken? Do you think I care about how successful you are? Do you think I care about all of those things? 
David, the reality is your soul is broken. And your soul needs restoring. How many of us live in our daily lives being effective in so many areas, but yet internally our soul is quite damaged? Our soul is quite fractured. And you can be successful at this and that, and God can still help you, and God can still lead you into great success. But there's nothing more he cares for than the health of your soul. Pretty much sums up the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels. See, Jesus could have been like busy doing so many things and being super effective, doing heaps of things, and he was. Let's not <laughs> understate that. But he basically just goes from person to person, life to life, home to home. Family to family, society to society, helping mend broken souls, restoring souls. From Zacchaeus, who's in a tree, I'm going to spend time with you today. We're going to have dinner, and we're going to catch up, and I'm going to pour into your soul. To the woman at the well, where he could have rushed, but he's like, I'm going to sit down and talk with you. Why? Because your soul is broken. From life after life after life, he cares about souls. Why? Because great leaders will always see souls before they see service. Jesus wasn't going around going, I need you to do this and I need you to that and I need some other people to do this and, and, and do you do this for them? Will you do this for me if you're not? I and mean, I'm not interested. No, he sees your soul before he ever sees your service. He sees your heart before he ever sees your hands. That is not to diminish the need or the quality of your hands because how many of you know we are heart and hands and when they come together, that is powerful. But he cares about your soul more than he cares about anything else. The restoration of your soul is your daily responsibility and God is right there to help you. He uplifts you. He encourages you. He fills you. His presence renews you because when your soul is restored, it changes everything. Because when your soul is unhealthy, everything is bad, even when it's good. But when your soul is healthy, everything is good, even when it's bad. Your soul, it determines and it changes everything. And some of you in church today, some of you, your souls are tired. Some of you, your souls are disappointed. Some of you, your souls are bruised. Some of you, your souls are just a bit flat. Like things are okay, but you just know your soul needs some restoration. Today, we're going to ask God to restore what he created. The second thing I believe God wants to restore, and we've already touched on it, but God wants to restore years to you. Years, like we read in Joel 2, where he would restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Years that you feel are wasted. Some of you feel like you've had wasted years. Man, I wish in my 30s I was a bit more productive. I wish in my 40s I had done this and not done that. I wish in my teenage years I hadn't been involved in that. And you feel like you've wasted some years for some particular reason. But I want to say today, God can do in one year what you strive for in 10 years. And what you're working hard and plowing and kind of, I'll get there if I can. I'll do it. I'll get there if I can. God can do in one what you try and do by yourself in 10 he will restore years to you. Sometimes why you ever meet like 50 year olds and like they look younger. They look younger now than they did when they were 40. <laughs> like there's vitality in the why because it's almost like years have been restored to them and there's purpose in their walk and there's a bounce in their spirit. Why? Because they know like when you walk through an airport, I never understand the people. You know when you have like the travelators that are moving flat and yet people are still kind of carrying the heavy bags. I'm like, just step on. <laughs> 
and allow God to help move you and take you where you need to go. You don't need to strive through all of this, but he can restore years that many of you have lost. Third thing God wants to restore, God wants to restore health to you. Jeremiah 30 verse 17, look what it says. I will restore to you health and I will heal your wounds, declares the Lord. And Jeremiah, the prophet, is speaking, I know, on behalf of God speaking to the nation of Israel. That is the context of this. But I also know that he is the God that healeth thee. I also know that by our stripes we are healed. I believe that God is committed to the restoration of health. It's not just a hope that we have. Surely it's a promise that we hold on to. And that when your body is broken, you declare the restorative power over your health. Because all of us, the Bible says, are wasting away. Which I know is not hugely encouraging on a Sunday morning to hear. But all of us are like wasting away. That's normal. Let's not kid ourselves thinking, you know, at, you know, at 80, our bones and our muscles and everything's going to be stronger than it was at 20. You know, like that's biology. It's how God has created us to be. But as we age, let's not lose hold of the promise that God can still restore health to our bones and health to our mind and health to our bodies. Sure, my bones might not be as strong as they were when they're 20 as a 60-year-old, but I'm proclaiming over my life that I'm going to have the strongest 60-year-old bones in the whole of Nottingham as God begins to restore health and vitality to my life. Can we be fitter at 50 than we ever were at 30? There's a guy in our church and he's running marathons and he's in his mid-50s and he is flying through marathons faster than I ever could and faster than he ever did in his early 20s. Why? Because there is aspects to his body and his health and the vitality of him which is being restored and sure it might be wasting away in part but he's not allowing that an excuse for him just to go well I can't do this and I'm not going to be able to do that but he's proclaiming the word of God over his life and the promises of God over his life that as he gets older God can still bring great strength and vitality to his body fourthly and some of you are going to like this one God restores and the word I have for it is just stuff good English word stuff don't have that word used in America stuff stuff God restores stuff Job 42 verse 10 says this after Job had lost everything after he'd lost family, possessions, cattle, houses, after he'd lost everything, he's pretty much left with nothing. The Bible says, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he ever had before. And some of you might be sat here today thinking, this is a bit weird, like stuff, like strange, like I didn't didn't think it was this kind of church, but there are times in life when things get taken away from you. Maybe your house is broken into. Maybe a car is damaged and it was never your fault. It was never something that you'd done. Maybe you lost a lot of money in, in, a, in a house move. Maybe you lost savings. Maybe there were equity or certain investments that you had and, and you're faithfully serving God and something happened and stuff was taken away from you. God has the ability to restore stuff back to you. When you are faithful like Job, when you are righteous, when you are upright, God has a way of returning possessions to you. God has a way of returning gifts to you. God has a way of returning savings or finance or cars. Let's speak that into being, that he is the God who can provide. He is your Jehovah Jireh. God looks after you. 
And if He looks after you, He will provide for you. When you understand everything we have is His anyway. It's His anyway. So God, if you can restore certain aspects of my life, materially or possession-wise or financially, God, I'm open to that. In Jesus' name. Fifthly, and some of you were hoping I wasn't going to go there, but I kind of need to. God restores relationships. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you all. All of us in here have relationships that are broken down that have become rusty relationships, locked up in some garage somewhere, that you know there's still value in that relationship. You know it's still there, but you also know it needs restoring. And note when I say this, because you need to be careful, not all relationships need restoring. Some relationships have ended and they were quite right to end. So don't be, don't be leaving this going, Pastor Dave told me that I had a boyfriend in 2004 and I need to find him on Facebook and send him a wave. No, he was an idiot. You did well losing him. He's gone. Not all relationships need restoring. If you've been abused, if you've been significantly hurt, sometimes the best thing you can do is to draw a line and to remove that relationship from your life. But some of you know there are certain relationships with purpose, certain relationships with destiny. Ones that stopping you maybe from moving forward because you know how it ended was just not how it should have ended. Sure, it could have ended and you know it needed to end, but it just didn't end how you wanted it and how you know it could have ended. Because some relationships end on purpose but some relationships end on pride. And you have to distinguish the difference. And some of you have to make the move. And sixth and finally today, God is committing and committed to restoring the joy of your salvation. What it says in Psalm 51 verse 12, Restore to me, O God, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me The joy of being saved. The joy of the gospel. Some of you have been saved for decades. Have a fresh revelation that He died on a cross for you. That He rose again after three days. That there is power in you. There's power in the name of Jesus. And He has saved you. He has healed you. He has forgiven you. That the joy of His grace and the joy of His mercy the joy that you are forgiven, the joy that you are filled with power from on high, that is restoring to you today the joy of your salvation. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when you understand the joy of your salvation, you'll be stronger than you ever have been. And some of you are weak because you've lost your joy. But today, ask God to restore it. I close with this in these final moments. I brought something with me from Leeds today. This is some valuable Japanese pottery. It's actually called Kintsugi. Kintsugi simply means in Japanese, golden repair. It's what it means. 
And it is the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by restoring the areas of breakage with dusted gold. That's what makes it kensugi. And this is what it does. This is why it's so valuable. It treats the restoration as part of the history rather than something to to despise of. And what it does is it takes a piece of pottery, which is, I don't know, a certain level of value, and somebody has broken it, it's been damaged. And rather than just discarding it into the bin, Kensugi puts some golden dust and to repair and to restore. And guess what? This is now way more valuable than it ever was when it was ever first purchased. You see, some of you have had cancer and God has restored you and it's part of your history. It's not something to despise and kind of hide away. No, it is the restorative nature of God. It is valuable. Some of you have marriages in here that were broken and yet by the grace of God, He restored your marriage. And that's not something to disguise and despise and like hide. No, it is something to be proud of because the nature of God, the restorative nature of God has got involved in the restoration of your life. You see, God's restoration is valuable. God's restoration is beautiful. And it might look different now than it did when it was first purchased. But do you know why it looks different? Because Kentsugi took place. Do you know why it looks different in your life right now? Because God got involved. God got involved in the restoration of your life. You tried your hardest, it didn't work. You went here and you went there and it didn't work. But what was broken, God put the golden nature of His restorative nature in your marriage, in your health, in your body, in your life, and in your mind. And God took that which was broken and He restored it back better than it ever was before. Let God restore you today. It is in His nature to restore. And today as you stand to your feet, we're going to sing this song. We're going to declare this over our lives. We're going to declare this over our church. We're going to declare this over our city. We're going to declare this over our government. Declare this over our nation. Where do you have faith today? For God to restore you. For God to get involved in your life. For God to do some kensugi in your mind, in your body, in your life. Come on, He makes all things new. You've come to the end of this message. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Stay up to date with everything going on in the life of our church by checking out our social media. Just search Heart Church UK.